Amen, amen. Let's thank the Lord this morning. For... You guys can grab a seat and uh, happy new year and um, first message out of the gate for the year. And uh, I just really, my heart longs um, for our church and uh, our lives just to get off to a great start. Amen. Isn't that the sense we have at the beginning of really any new sort of season in our lives? And uh, one of the things I've been, I've been thinking about a lot is just the simplicity of what I feel like God's been doing in my life and our staff and our church. And I just, I just want more delight in God's word this year. I want, um, for you and for me, I want uh, more depth, a sense of, man, my roots are going down into this. I've got a, a deeper sense of what God's calling me to, a more desire to live out the word in the way that I think, in the way that I live, in the way that I relate with other people. All of this sort of for the purpose of sort of stirring up affection and appreciation for the purpose that God's called us to, to, uh, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And uh, really unintentionally, but um, in the providence of the Lord, uh, this message is, is going to be uh, helpful for a sort of recalibrating priorities as we kick off uh, this year. We're back into the, the Take Aim series, and uh, we're covering, for those of you who don't know, we're covering the marks of a disciple. Um, so we started in the fall talking about drawing near to Christ. Uh, this series that we're right in the middle of is knowing the work of Christ. That will be followed by become like Christ and then live for Christ. And um, just excited about the time we're taking here. And uh, the first four weeks of this series, knowing the work of Christ, uh, we did kind of before Christmas. And um, we highlighted these sort of essential aspects of the work of Christ. We highlighted uh, Christ my creator, Christ my victor, Christ my redeemer, and Christ my righteousness. And over the next three weeks, starting today, we want to highlight um, a, a, a picture of this aspect of knowing the work of Christ, a picture of it playing out in people's lives. A picture of how that plays out either in the, the church or and how it should play out in our church today and in our lives. And so um, we're going to be taking aim. And so if you've got your Bibles, get them open to Acts chapter 2. And um, Acts comes right after all the Gospels of Jesus in your Bible. And Acts is this sort of declaration, this testimony of history that after Christ came and and did what Christ did through his work, suddenly now in, in, in Acts 1 and 2, you have the ascension of Jesus. Then you have the descension of the Holy Spirit descending on God's people. And in the beginning of chapter 2, you've got like, it is, it is like crazy chaos in the church. People are speaking in other languages and, and, and they're walking around under the influence and the power and the work of God's spirit. And people are like, what is wrong with them? Are they drunk? That's literally what they say. And so into that, at the beginning of chapter two, uh, Peter stands up and is like, hey, what's happening was prophesied long ago through the prophet Joel. And this was anticipated and now you're seeing the fulfillment of that. And so they're seeing this, this demonstration of redemptive history playing out. And then, then Peter starts to proclaim the gospel. He starts to talk about the work of Christ. And what you're going to find as we study this passage is that the work of Christ is at the center, the very center 
of Peter's testimony. And what, what Peter shows us in this declaration of the gospel is that in the proclamation of the work of Christ, in the proclamation of the gospel, the work of Christ has to be at the center. You can't testify about the good news of the gospel by just talking about, oh, we're just learning to love and, and forgive and be merciful without Jesus at the center of it. The message is not good news unless you highlight and feature the work of Christ. And you not only see this in Acts like we're going to see today, you see it in all of Paul's letters, you see it in the testimony of the church throughout history. Sharing Christ must highlight the work of Christ. So let's process this starting by just kind of looking at the overall big move of this passage is this. Big move, keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. Your testimony, my testimony, our testimony together. What do we want to be the loudest from our lives and the loudest from our church. It's a testimony that you learn and that you live and that you share. And the work of Christ is at the center of gospel proclamation. So when you read this passage, you're going to see it play out. There's three different responses to the work of Christ. Let's look at the first one. The first one, this word, here. Here. So let's walk through it. Now through the beginning part of the passage where we see this, I want you to hear the revelation of Christ's work and we're going to see what, what Peter highlights in this testimony of Christ. Verse 22 is where we're going to pick up chapter 2, verse 22 of Acts. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth comes right out of the gate. He's like, listen, listen, if you want to know what I'm talking about, if you want to know who the feature person of this testimony is, it's the person of Jesus Christ. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He's like, hey, 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 it was Jesus. It's not, it's not the religion of Christianity that I'm communicating. It's not a particular church that I want you to join. It's I'm proclaiming Christ. And, like, and, and, and Christ was confirmed as God through the miraculous works that you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus, in case you forgot in the whatever 10 or 15 words since I said Jesus before, 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So second, he's like, he was delivered up to be killed on a cross, and this was known by God. And it was the foreknowledge of God, which means that it was part of the plan of redemption that was being fulfilled. Verse 24, God raised him up. Now we're talking about the resurrection. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now we're talking about the resurrection. And the implication of the resurrection here is this reference loosed the pangs of death. Not the most common reference in today's world. Can we agree? I haven't heard anybody wake up and be like, I'm just feeling pangs right now. No. But the idea here, loosed, literally means to cancel or reverse the impact of an action or its effect. And what's being proclaimed here by Peter is, death could not hold him. We, we could celebrate Easter on other days. And this is a perfect example of this. Victory over death. Death has been reversed and has been canceled. Death has lost its sting. This is good news, church. 
It's good news. Then verses 25 through 31, let's look at them. <clears throat> for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. He's referring here, this reference is to Psalm 16, 8 through 11. It's one of David's writings in Psalms. 26, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. The, the Jewish people listening would have celebrated David. He was one of the patriarchs of the faith and um, Paul is saying here, like, hey, David's dead, but the one he predicted, look what he says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Here you've got the proclamation that Jesus is the predicted Messiah. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament, all of it was working to reveal and declare when Christ came that he was the Messiah and that his resurrection would fulfill all of redemptive history. The work of Christ, the work of Christ, the work of Christ everywhere in this. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So here you see that the work of Christ is that he is seated at the right hand of God. He's still working, he's still leading, he's still conquering, he's still revealing, he's still saving, he's still at work. So the work of Christ is still being worked out. Powerful reality. Verse 36, this final declaration. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the final declaration over the work of Christ, when you hear it, is to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And so Christ is this idea of anointed, and, and, and Lord is this idea of kind of sovereign master. When you hear the work of Christ, and not just hear like words being spoken, but you hear it, you receive it, and your heart starts to respond to it, you declare that Jesus is the anointed, sovereign master of all. And man, church, this is, that's a powerful overview of the, that Peter gives us, an overview of the nature, identity of the work of Christ. And, and you could sum it up, if you want to sum all of this up, that, that Peter just said, that I just unpacked. Three words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And um, this is why it's important for us to recognize, a uh, church family, that uh, one of Satan's greatest, most consistent schemes is to minimize the work of Christ. 
is to throw some, some level of shade on the work of Christ, some level of disregard, some level of lessening the reality of it. It's, a, it's the scheme he's used again and again and again, generation after generation, since the work of Christ became the work of Christ. It's this, it's this argument that, I mean, keep Jesus natural, but not supernatural. We like the natural part of Jesus, not the supernatural part. He's a great teacher, but let's be honest, the miracles really, you can use Jesus for your purpose as sort of a part of your personal portfolio of spirituality, but, but don't view him as sovereign master of all. That kind of gets a little extreme, that's a little dangerous, I don't want to go there. Like, like, it's okay, like, just, just, just have, like, you, you can buy a nice Bible, that's fine, um, attend a nice church, like, buy all the merch, wear the trendy Christian t-shirts, put the clever Hobby Lobby Christian sayings on your wall, but don't apply the work of Christ to every aspect of your life. That's going a bit too far. Arguments like that in my heart still in different ways, and in your heart different ways, is the insidious work of of the enemy and of our flesh. It's always to diminish the work of Christ, always. The enemy loves to minimize the work of Christ. He would love for you to have favor towards truth but not towards application. And, and, and it lessens his role as Lord. But then there's verse 33. Look at it again. Being therefore, like right now, exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Like, I can't get out from under the reality that part of the work of Christ is that he's still exalted and still reigning. And like, if he's exalted at the right hand of God, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking the gospel to your life and you're seeing and hearing what has been revealed just here in Acts 2, not to mention the rest of Scripture, in the testimony and the work of Christ, if this is true, if this is really true, then everything has to change about the, my perception of the world, about how I think about my identity, about how I think about other people, my purpose, all of it. If this is true, then it's like, a, it's like a gospel bomb that goes off in your, in your heart. I just have this picture of like, when the gospel goes off, I feel like some people get the gospel, get the gospel bomb in their life, but they don't, it never detonates. It's like, oh, I love the gospel bomb. Like, look at this, it's got so much power, but it's never detonated in their life. And they're like, I don't really know, and this thing just seems dead. And they discard it. And other people pick it up and they're like, that's awesome. And they light it and it's like, And the shrapnel of the work of Christ, when the gospel bomb is detonated, the shrapnel of the work of Christ starts to get driven into the very fabric of your, your mind and your heart and your soul and your thoughts and your life and your perspective and it changes everything. And we've got to make sure that we are crystal clear on the gospel essentials in the work of Christ. So let me just highlight a few things. Five critical components of Christ's work right from this passage that I just want to make sure you've, you've gained from this teaching of this passage. Five quick statements. First, Jesus came. 
He came in human form. He came because he loved you. He came because the perfect sacrifice had to be achieved through a right substitute, and the right substitute needed to be a man just like we are people and humans. He had to come in human form. Two, Christ confirmed. Confirmed as God has both human and God to be the perfect sacrifice. There had to be a supernatural element, and he proclaimed that and gave examples of that so that that could be confirmed. Then Christ died. He died on the cross where he declared that it is finished. What he was saying when he said it was finished is he's like, all sin has been covered by my death once and for all. And And so forgiveness is possible and relationship with God is possible now. Christ died and then Christ rose from the dead. And in that death is conquered and eternity with God is now possible. And then Christ reigns. He sits on the throne and he should be sitting on the throne of your life now and for eternity if you understand and the Holy Spirit has allowed you to see who he really is. Faith in Christ means that Um, the gospel bomb just sort of gets detonated in your life over and over and over again. How how many many could look back at their life and testify that's kind of how it's gone? It's like, I'm doing kind of good, and then and you're like, oh man. Like, God wants to transform me, and I don't know how to do that. God, by the power of your spirit, could you help me? And then God does that, and then it's like, I think I'm done. Another bomb goes off, and you're like, oh, okay. I I thought I'd learned some things, but maybe I haven't. And every time that happens, it's the work of Christ that's being driven deeper and deeper into your heart, mind, and soul. That's the work of Christ. This is how you're transformed by the gospel. So we want to hear. We've got to hear for this to be the case. We've got to hear it. We've got to keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. Second word is this. Receive. If you want to get this year and every year off to a good start, we want every day to be saturated by the work of Christ. We've got to hear and then we've got to receive. This one, we covered a number of verses. Now we're going to cover one. Look in verse 37. I love this. Now, when they heard this, there it is, the passage transitioned for me right from my last point to this point. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So, like, so the, the people, as, as, as Peter says in verse 33, they were seeing and hearing the work of Christ. Then verse 37, <clears throat> what we're seeing here is the evidence that faith has taken hold of the work of Christ. So the work of Christ proclaimed, and now we see the evidence that faith has taken hold of the work of Christ. And the picture of it is right there. What does it say? Now when they heard this, they were, what's the word? They were cut. They were cut. The word cut here is not a peaceful word. The word cut here um, is it means to pierce to the center of your being. If you were cut with a knife and it fulfilled the word cut here, like you're not getting up. Like it's cut to the heart. It is right at the center of your being. It's not like a small nick like when you're shaving and you're like, oh, that kind of hurt. 
or it's not like a paper cut where you're like, oh, that was really annoying, and that's going to hurt for longer than I thought ever possible. It's not even that. It goes beyond that. It is, it is the idea of, 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 of like being stabbed and right to the center of your life. The heart here, cut to the heart, the heart in here and in so many places in Scripture, it refers to the center of your mind, your choices, your emotions, your knowledge of right and wrong, to the center of who you are. It's a violent reality, actually, one that I think we need to become more familiar with if we want to walk into the work of Christ. The same picture, if you want to see it in other places, in Hebrews 4.12, a verse that's familiar to many of us. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And at that point, we're kind of like, that's kind of cool. The word of God, living and active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And then it literally does this with it. Like piercing to the division of soul and of, of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart is pierced here by gospel truth. I'm not just reading scripture, but scripture is literally cutting me deep, confronting me with gospel truth. It's interesting that um, multiple places in uh, the prophecies about the gospel in the Old Testament, there's this idea that, that when uh, the work of, of Christ comes, that your, your hard heart is going to be replaced with a soft heart so that the word of God can pierce that soft heart. Isn't it interesting how it, it's kind of a beautiful work of God in redemption. And he replaces you with a soft heart so that the gospel can pierce it so that you can be ready to trust in Christ and glorify him alone. So, so how? How do you know if your heart is being pierced? Been pierced or being pierced? What is the evidence? It's answered in the verse. Look in verse 37 again. They were cut to the heart and then look what happens as a result of being cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? If you want to know if your life has been pierced by the work of Christ, if you want an evidence of that, has a declaration of your faith in Christ, then you are going to be a person who says like uh, these uh, people said, brothers, what shall we do? Because when you're confronted by the work of Christ, you know that your life has to change. And the question isn't forced. It's like an overflow of willing obedience. Because you're like, there's this God who came and he died for me and he forgave me and he wants relationship with me. Like, and he's, he's, he's like the Lord and Christ. He's the anointed sovereign master of all. Like, I, I want to know what he wants for my life. There's an overflow of willing obedience, willing submission, a readiness to submit to the work of Christ in every aspect of life because it is good news. See, when we talk about obedience and it's this sort of, like, like I have to do this and, 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 and you sort of feel the weight of that and sometimes the shame of your failure. If you understand God's forgiveness, the shame is covered. If you understand God's lordship, you're really excited. It's good news that God gave you some direction. And you start to realize like there's no other option for how I want to live or how I should live. See, the world, 
loves to maximize options. Anybody notice this? Like, this is why the gospel message is always going to contradict with the world's message. This illustration wouldn't work as much in a third world country, but it certainly works in our country. Um, we, we exist in what some have termed it a, a sort of a free market society. And a, a free market society means that we have in our world an overwhelming number of options for everything, right? Like, and those, those options, they're, they're constantly competing for your resources, like your time and attention and money. It's why you can get exhausted by all the options. Anybody with me? We just came off of Christmas. Like we understand being exhausted by options. Like so many of you are like, too many options. Kids, write down what you want. I'll pick one of them. I'm done. I'm done trying to figure out all the options. You say one thing and you can miss it. There's an insane number of options for everything. It's why sometimes you go to the grocery store and I find myself like, why did I just spend a half an hour in the barbecue section? Like trying to figure out what barbecue sauce is my favorite. It's kind of overwhelming. I just wish a light would shine behind the one that's perfect for me. <laughs> Thank you. I just saved a half an hour. Like, it's insane. And here's the thing. The free market for products has understandably been extended now to a free market for your identity. Every option is available and equally valued. Live however you want, be who you want, you make the decision. The only truth is your truth, and even that can change. Validate every option, everything's fluid. In and out of that culture, you wage war against any authority that would impose the rule on your life. And now what's happened is the stress of trying to figure out what products to purchase has now moved right into the heart of people's identities. And this is having tragic repercussions. And so those of us who understand the war and we understand the work of the gospel can understand both for our own sake and for the sake of others that it should not be a surprise that in the constant fight for um, identity and products that we're finding ourselves pulled and yanked all sorts of directions and there's a constant fight for our attention and affirmation that then leads to insane rates of, watch this, depression, anxiety, suicide, and stirred up even more by social media. Maximizing options, listen, listen, listen. Maximizing options has some benefit. I'm not gonna throw the whole thing under the bus. But maximizing options never satisfies our soul. Because it's never enough. It's never enough. So you live with like products even of going like, oh, is this the best purchase? On something as dumb as barbecue sauce. Like, like, and, and, and so now if you, if you expand that out to my whole identity and purpose in life, you can understand the ramifications of that. We were not designed to live this way is what the work of Christ teaches us. The work of Christ minimizes options. And it's interesting that in the minimizing of options is actually where we find the freedom that Christ wants to give us. See, what, see what, what, what the people said in response to the work of Christ when they were cut to the heart was not what can I do. It's what shall I do. Options are lessened over time leading to peace and joy 
Because in those lessened options, I understand more clearly what Christ wants. And in that, I begin to experience the good news of that and the depth of that. So now it's like, it's only one path. Whatever Christ wants me to do. It's only one purpose. I just want to glorify God. It's only one identity, what Christ declares. It's only one hope. Promised eternity in the presence of Christ. And the total, complete life transformation of the gospel only comes to those who, when they understand the work of Christ, simply, day by day, moment by moment, are not asking, what can I do? They're asking, what shall I do? With your time, with your work, with your dating relationships, with your marriage, with your parenting, with your money, with your purpose, with your emotions, with your thoughts, with your speech, with your entertainment, with your lusts, with your attitude if the Wolverines don't win tomorrow night, like whatever it is, all of life, all of life under the Lordship of Christ. What shall I do? What shall I do? Initially and continually, cut to the heart, what shall I do? That's an evidence that we've received the work of Christ. Keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. And then this last one, repent. Repent. Hear, receive, repent. Chapter 2, verse 38. Peter now answers the question. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the supernatural work of God in our lives right now. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Right there, you can circle up you who are far off. You made it in the Bible. There it is. That's you. We are the far off ones. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Because he's still calling people to himself. And, and there's so many people in this room who have been called to Jesus, and we are part of this scripture. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So you notice here, it's interesting in that verse, I didn't notice it literally till this morning in the, in the earlier service. Um, there were so many other things he said in this message, but you know the things that got highlighted was the work of Christ. That's what got highlighted. There's so many other applications, I'm certain, for the people at that time. And he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Because I'm sure the illustrations that he used for uh, the people that were listening to him at this point are different than the illustrations we'd use today. It's the same crooked generation, it's just crooked in different ways, right? That doesn't change until Christ returns. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want to talk about revival. There it is. So Peter gives this answer to the question, what shall we do or what shall I do? And he says, pretty simply, repent and be baptized so that you can be saved from this crooked generation. So the actions from this are two simple actions, repent and be baptized. And so the significance of this is such throughout Scripture that um, we really felt like in teaching this that one of the illustrations of the work of Christ was repent and be baptized. So next week, Pastor Jeremy is actually going to be teaching on baptism. 
And so we're going to spend an entire week on that. And so today I'm going to just going to focus in on repentance with the remainder of this message. Repentance is an essential action if you want to keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. Because here's the thing, and here's the problem we all feel. We can hear and receive, and we can even go, what shall I do, God? And then God tells us what to do, but you guys know that if God's calling us that direction, there's, some, there's a direction we've already been walking in. And, and the reality of the fall and the reality of sin means that there's been ways and directions that we've been walking that have been in opposition to the way that God wants us. And the war in that, there's sometimes in coming to faith in Christ where God's told me things. I've been like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I'm like, I'll start walking in that direction. There's other things that God's called me to where I've been pulled in a direction by sin and unrighteousness. And repentance is the these moments of decision where I'm leaving the past and moving towards what Christ wants. And this is a key part of my testimony of the work of Christ. To be changed by God to escape this crooked generation, we have to start with repentance and we have to keep with repentance. So here's the definition we've used for repentance. I want to make sure we've got clarity on what the Bible's teaching on this subject is. We've used this often. Here's the definition. Biblical repentance is a decisive move. Like I'm making a decision and part of my decision first is I have remorse over past inclinations and behaviors. Now note here, it's inclinations and behaviors because God's word is clear that my actions start because I was thinking a certain way and my heart was positioned in a certain way. And so God wants to reverse the whole thing. So the first thing is remorse. I look back and I go, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think like that. And God's telling me that he doesn't want me to think like that. He's got something better for me. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm I'm good with that. I don't want to do that anymore. There's a difference between just like a casual regard towards something like, nah, I don't want to do it. But then later on, like, I'll check that out again. How many know that's the pattern sometimes of, Sin, our default is one direction. We have to have remorse and a sense of like righteous anger and indignation and sadness and grief over it. And and so then I have remorse over past inclinations and behavior. I abandon sinful ways. And then I live obediently to Christ and his ways. And this process of repentance, remorse, abandon, obedience... They're not always chronological in order, but all are essential for true, sustained repentance in your life and in mine. It's remorse, it's abandon, it's obedience. It's an evidence, repentance is, of seeing and hearing. If you authentically ask the Lord, what shall I do? You're walking right towards repentance when you're coming under the work of Christ. Repentance is not this, it is a thing you do initially when coming to faith in Christ, but it's also a consistent, continual nature of your life. It is the proclamation that I am, uh, uh, that the work of Christ is at the center of my testimony. And so, the question I have for you, not just today, but every day is this, is, is, is it present daily in your life? Is repentance really present daily in your life? Well, I want to serve you well, so here, is, um, here are five sort of um, 
pictures of what repentance looks like in your daily life. Five pictures of what repentance looks like. Let's check these out one by one. First, if you're living out repentance, if you're responding to this call, the first thing is, um, first one on the list, you can pull the list up now, is pray for sin to be revealed. Like, I'm not just like waiting for, oh man, I screwed up, but I'm praying that God would reveal sin to me. Because if the work of Christ is true, I'm not afraid of that. We live in this sort of shame culture, oftentimes because of the influence of people and leaders and the way they've dealt with our fallenness and our sin, that we've tended to start to hide sin. But, but the gospel draws it out of you and says, Christ has redeemed it. So come with this and pray for sin to be revealed. Man, I want, when, I'm in a, when I'm in a repentant posture and somebody comes to me with some sort of relational uh, issue in my marriage or with my parent, with, with my children or, or with a friend, when I'm in a repentant posture, I recognize that what they're bringing to me is a grace. It's not condemnation. It's an opportunity for God to restore and change me. It's a completely different posture when I'm repentant. Then second, study the word to learn about Christ and his ways. Because once you experience the goodness of Christ and his ways, you just want to know more. Three, confess sin and ask for forgiveness. A posture of repentance, knowing the work of Christ means that. I'm not messing around with sin. I'm not like, you know what, I'm just kind of really sorry, and what I really mean is I'm just sorry I got caught. No, a right fear of God goes with, with God or with others. This is how I've sinned, God. I confess my sin to you, and I'm asking that you would change me, and I know that the beginning of that change starts with being forgiven, so will you forgive me? You do that with others, and you do that with God, it'll change so much. Because I, I can confess it to God and then I ask for forgiveness because I know the mercy and forgiveness of God was completed on the cross. And I restore relationship. And this is part of what it means to live and to love in gospel community. Then I walk in the power of Christ. I pray for power when tempted. and I want to walk in that power of who he says I am and and then I, I want to study the word. Again, I'm coming back to the word, and I want to listen to counselors. I want to deepen the transformation. I want more wisdom. So if I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm not just like, well, I just I want to stop being anxious when something bad happens. No, I want, to, I want anxiety to be out of my life at every level. So I'm studying every part of anxiety and finding the root issue of what it is and why my heart causes me to think certain ways. Maybe it was something in my past that needs to be redeemed some aspect of the work of Christ that hasn't yet been applied over my life and heart. And whether that's the Holy Spirit counseling me or really great resources that you can find in the body of Christ and sermons or counselors so I can understand the root of the change that God wants to bring so lovingly in the gospel. I, in church, in the last two years, I've seen God do a a work that doesn't happen one Sunday in church. It's been a work of God in my leadership in and around the church that God has done an 
deep, deep work. He is not done, not in any way. But I'm walking through this process in a posture of repentance because I want to grow in excellence because of the joy that comes from that change. In communication in my marriage, like, um, I make mistakes. And some weeks I feel like a lot of them. And I want God to transform that. I want to know why I'm speaking like I'm speaking, what's in my heart, what God needs, what God's wanting to resolve in that. And I'm finding that 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 change is actually not just shaping my marriage, it's shaping all of my relationships. And I'm still making mistakes, but I want to come back to the work of Christ, which wants to correct me and change me and transform me and love me. Even in some of the wrestling with anxiety in my heart, I want to stay on repentance so that I can see and experience the goodness of God in this. It's the work of Christ that comes alive when you repent. Christ came, Christ confirmed, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ reigns. When I'm repenting, I'm literally coming under the work of Christ and it's playing out in my life. So I want to encourage you that if you're asking, what shall I do? The first thing is to maintain a posture of repentance. So it's here, it's receive, it's repent. This is how you keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. And so I, I had to conclude this message by, by, by coming to communion. Communion, I, I even, in, in preparing for this message and, and in preaching it and teaching it, I, I can see more clearly why Christ instituted communion. Because he, he knew that, that our lives needed to be reminded, we need to remember the work of Christ. And then literally like, like enter into it by faith afresh in communion. Because, because Christ knew that we would need to be reminded and actively remember to hear the work of Christ, to receive the work of Christ, and then to repent out of respect for the work of Christ. To, to reestablish a posture of repentance in our lives. And so... I'm going to encourage the communion service to start coming forward now. And in a few moments, the trays are going to be passed. And you're going to take the two cups stacked on top of one another, one holding the bread and the other uh, the juice. That is a symbol. Those are symbols of the work of Christ. It's Christ's body given for you and his blood poured out for your forgiveness. And as you hold on to these elements, I want you to hear the truth of the work of Christ. Christ came, Christ confirmed, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ reigns. And I want you, just like we saw in this passage, to respond, followers of Christ, by asking, God, what shall I do? And then wherever the Holy Spirit's convicting you, just begin to repent. Begin to confess your sin before God. Pray that God would reveal some things and then get ready. And make a decisive move in that to have remorse over that, to abandon it, and to live obediently to Christ. So as elements are passed, just hold on to them and we'll take them together in just a few moments as the band sings, take this time to hear, to receive, and to repent. Let's do this together.